I'm joined by my dear friend and colleague, Alex Plumley. Alex is an experienced human resource executive with a proven track record of delivering value-added HR strategies in international blue chip companies. His robust experience in the defense and aerospace industry, currently with Collins Aerospace, has made him a specialist in union relations, international HR, talent management, leadership coaching, and employee engagement. And Alex is also a member of the Leading Inclusively Advisory Board, and you can't imagine how grateful we are for that. Thank you for joining, Alex, and and, and tell me what I left out. I know there's a lot. Well, uh, firstly, thank you for having me. Um, And I would guess, I think the first thing I would say you left out is my own personal considerations about whether my boss would say the same kind things about me as you've just done. (laughs) So I appreciate that. Um, And in the spirit of uh, starting as I mean to continue, the other couple of things I'd I'd share with you just personally are, um, so I have a dog, Macy. I have a cat, Jinx. Um, uh, Two very kind of important family members to me. And I I guess, why don't I start by just perhaps providing a bit of background or just a bit about me personally? That would be great. Okay. I grew up in uh, the second city in the UK. It's a a city called Birmingham, second only to London. Um, And I'm uh, one of two siblings. Um, Got a wonderful mum and dad who are still based in in the Birmingham area. And I would guess I would categorize my, um, my kind of period growing up as being one of rebellion. Um, so I found out, you know, quite early on in my life that I really struggled quite a bit with authority. I didn't like people telling me what to do. I particularly didn't like them telling me what to do when they didn't tell me why I was doing it. Um, and as I was growing up, I, you know, I was in a, a fortunate position where my family wanted me to do all sorts of things, you know, play soccer, uh, you know, learn how to play the piano, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess, all of that sort of drained my time and at a certain point I sort of started to rebel against it and you know was of the opinion that I needed to go and hang out with my mates rather than do what my mum and dad were telling me. Um, That also somewhat manifested itself in uh, my academic experience so I was one of those individuals in the class that would prefer to argue with the teacher rather than just nod my head. Um, and just a couple of sort of interesting elements to share with you. I think by virtue of that, I went through a number of phases in my life. So, um, you know, probably difficult to imagine as you sit in front of me and I've not got much hair and I can probably explain why that happened. But um, at one point, at uh, the age of like maybe 14, I was, I think, what's referred to as a goth. So I had very long black hair. I used to wear, um, you know, quite heavy eye makeup, face whitener. um, I hope hope for our listeners out there, they know what (laughs) Alex actually looks like, okay? So I'm not, I I will not characterize him, but you're going to have to look him up on LinkedIn and find some photos of him on the internet because he looks quite different right now. I look quite a bit different now, right? Exactly. Um, And I would say not out of a conformity perspective, almost out of a necessity perspective, and I'll I'll go into a bit of that. But um, so I had, you know, I I was this kind of goth type character for a period of time, Um, you know, and in the spirit of what we're talking about, which is inclusion and diversity, 
uh, people look at you different, um, you stick out. Um, I mean, some of it is understandable, but you don't necessarily feel like you're the most included person in the classroom in that scenario. So anyway, the consequences of that was I started my career in HR. And as you said, I've worked, been very fortunate, worked for a number of uh, big companies. So I've worked for Delphi, which was the uh, component side to General Motors. I've worked for Ford Motor Company. Um, and most recently, I worked for United Technologies, which is the parent company that um, that has Collins Aerospace within mm-hmm. its portfolio. And uh, uh, what's your current title, Alex? My current title is Vice President of Human Resources. So I, uh, I lead the HR function for um, a business within the Collins portfolio called Aerostructures. Uh, we're headquartered just down the road in Chula Vista. Uh, we're about a $5 billion business with approximately 9,000 people worldwide. The point, you know, I, I I would guess that there would be very few people as I was growing up that would have thought that I would be doing the type of work and um, the nature of the job that I do today. And I think that, you know, it's very easy and we do it somewhat subconsciously that we judge people very, very early in lots and lots of different ways. Um, and I think a lot of the times people surprise us, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, I don't attest to the fact that, you know, how you are when you're young is necessarily going to translate to what you're going to be like as you mature. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. There's a fine line, um, I guess, between being able to be exactly who you are and being able to get hired and function in a corporate environment. And, you know, we as diversity and inclusion professionals, we grapple with that every day. I mean, there's actual legislation on the books now about everything from headdress from a religious point of yeah. view to dreads, for example, yeah. for, you know, what's considered to be native or cultural um, way of, of wearing your hair, where some uh, corporations would try to dictate, you know, what your hair should look like so so we've actually come a very long way even on on that issue yeah but um somehow i doubt you know for example that showing up with you know uh pointy fingernails that are pierced or you know uh white makeup you know uh you know uh, you know unless there's a cultural reason for it uh, would necessarily fly. So, so you're in HR. How do you um, help to coach your internal team about what that line is? That's a great question. Um, and I think uh, the first thing I would say is it's an evolving picture. Um, so I think to your point, there has been change. I think there will be more change to come. Um you know, if you step back and recognize we're in record lows of unemployment. And so, um, you know, to some degree, people pick companies rather than the other way around at the minute. And, you know, in, you know, in the spirit of that, therefore, what a company like ours is interested in doing is creating an environment that is inclusive. And to your point, yes, there is a line, you know, the reality is there is always probably going to be some type of line but I feel like that line's moving. Um, and in order for us to actually get a return on investment from the talent that we're hiring, bear in mind we're an aerospace company, we value innovation, inclusion, which translates to engagement, which we believe translates to innovation, is critical for us. And so, you know, you mentioned as you were very kindly talking about 
you know areas that I I I focus on and um, I guess just uh, you know uh, competencies that I've developed leadership coaching simply is I think one of the most powerful ways of helping people see that differences should be valued. Alex, when we set up barriers to the workplace by judging people by anything from their appearance to their color to their gender and you know gender and 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 color is something that we talk about all the time Mm -hmm. but it's but it's actually more than that right because we you know for example the the um, example that I use for myself is I just used to hate tattoos and Mm -hmm. I would literally have to if I saw a tattoo I would have to stop and say to myself you are about to potentially lose um, the opportunity for incredible talent on the basis of the judgment that you're about to make. Stop it right now. Of course, it helps that I now have two sons, both of whom have tattoos. (laughs) So what goes around comes around, you know, and there's sometimes there are these little light bulb moments that help you to get beyond your own limitations. But the reality is, um, and I'd just like to hear your viewpoint on this, that when we set up these barriers you know well let me just ask you what what do we do when we make those judgments how do we deny our corporations opportunities yes i think it's exactly what you said i mean you 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 know i think every company that you talk to will say we want the best people you know we want to hire the best people we want to retain the best people we want to develop the best people motherhood and apple pie but you know human capital being the single remaining form of competitive advantage so once you've got those people um you know if you set these boundary conditions and you don't let them belong they are by virtue of that fitting at best and you're leaving value on the table in terms of the returns they can create for you. Yeah. So when you went, you you talked a little bit about your goth phase, and then you you had a dreadlock phase and all that. At at what point was there some pivotal moment that you made a decision to either dress or have a uh, a personal look that was a little bit more in conformity with? Um, you know, corporate America or uh, or wherever in the world you were actually participating in the corporate experience? Yeah, I mean, I would say there wasn't any singular pivotal moment, but as I started thinking about, you know, what I really wanted to achieve in my career and how much ambition I really had um, and my motivation and drive to succeed, I recognized that... Um, you know, as I was, you know, literally starting my career in human resources, I recognized that people would question um, and make judgments based on how I look. And, you know, I I sort of almost consciously, and I, I sort of joked with you, I wouldn't suggest that I conformed, but I, you know, I understood that there were, there was a lower tolerance to people looking differently than not looking differently. And, um, you know, I, I compromised on certain things, but I would also say it was a pretty natural because I'd got to a point of maturity. You know, at this point, I'm in my early 20s and I've kind of figured out more about what I want. I'm less confused about the direction that I want to tread for the future and therefore I'm more purposeful about going and getting it. And so 
it was it wasn't that i felt obligated to do it it was a choice yeah and I, you know what's interesting about that and i think a lot of women and people of color would say well you know you had a, you had a choice right yeah so as a woman uh, you know unless you're planning on cha- changing your gender you yep. you don't have a choice if you're a person of color um you don't have a choice you have to show up with that with that difference um on a daily basis what i do find though very interesting and very important is if I'm sitting here looking at you across, you know, across the table at this podcast and having known you for the past several years, um, you are a white male. Um, for those of you who are, you know, listening and not, you know, seeing an actual video, um, trust me, he is a white male and if, and he's got this very sophisticated, um, English accent, um, you know, and, and obviously a very educated man. In a million years looking at you, I would not have assumed that you would have any relational ability really from personal life experience about um, inclusion or the lack thereof. And yet the reality is that you had quite a taste of it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, somewhat analogic to my earlier comment, which is, you know, again, it's this whole thing around judgment and people you know, I guess 20 years ago would never have thought that I would be doing what I'm doing today. And the judgment they would have made was mainly based on how I looked at the time. And so, uh, you, you know, I, you're right, I'm a, a white male. I feel that, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm confident that every single person at some point in their life has felt excluded in some way. And we all have those experiences. Um, to some degree, I think in some instances, which is to kind of, you know, put them in a chest, lock them away and never think about them again. But, you know, I find sometimes reflecting on my, you know, as I was growing up and, and how I felt at certain points helps me to avoid, you know, as just as you mentioned with tattoos, helps me to avoid making those unconscious kind of judgments or having an unconscious bias when I see people who are different to me. Right. You, you can, you, you're, you're able to go there. You're able to maybe experience, um, empathy. If empathy is called for, you're able to, uh, open and expand your mind to new ways of, of looking at things or new, new images without the limitations that some of us may experience in the same scenario. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, and I have so many different um, questions that I want to ask you, but um, as I mentioned to our audience, we um, are lucky enough to have you as a member of our advisory board, and I want to just be um, very very specific about that. Alex has uh, not only agreed to be a member of our advisory board, but he has done it enthusiastically, and he has made himself available at odd hours. (laughs) Um, because as you know, um, uh, a startup, you don't get the luxury of a nine to five life. You don't get an, a luxury of a, uh, Monday to Friday life. And we, although we've been around for a long time in diversity and inclusion, we consider ourselves a startup in terms of the technology yeah. that we have been developing, um, that uses AI and nudge messaging to support the diversity and inclusion journey and culture transformation in general. So, um, that's. That's uh, kind of a, a, a long explanation about our journey together, but I would like you to share with our listeners um, 
just just why you felt that it might be important to be a member of our advisory board no it's great and and um firstly thank you for having me um but no i uh so I, I am passionate about inclusion. I am passionate about diversity. And to your point, you know, companies measure certain elements of, you know, comp workforce composition and so on and so forth. My own belief is it's much broader than that when we actually truly think about diversity. It's, you know, diversity of experience, diversity of thought, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a space that I'm, um, I'm passionate about personally. Um, and... I think lead inclusively has the ability to disrupt how we think about supporting leaders to behave more inclusively. Um, you know, and I recall um, as you and I were talking many months back, Denise, about the application that uh, your organisation has uh, has built. Um, and I, I I recall thinking, you know, is this like a kind of Kodak? uber disruptive moment and the conclusion i came to was pretty much yes um you know it's funny i just quickly i, re I recall sort of being a, a kid watching my dad work at home and it was all paperwork and pens and all that kind of stuff and of course now it's all devices and ipads and iphones and, and what have you and as you know as individuals we are tethered to these so what better way to prompt behavioral change than use, you know, a device or an instrument that you are literally looking at, you know, 12, 14 hours a day and use that as the basis for helping people to, to be conscious about how they conduct themselves and how they can conduct themselves more inclusively. And oh, by the way, add into that some element of artificial intelligence and machine learning so that over time those signals get you know, more accurately honed so that they're more impactful. I mean, it's tremendous. I mean, it, it, it is, I think, incredibly innovative, which I like. And I would say it's a disruptor. I was, uh, I, w I was just so happy uh, when we told you the concept uh, of the app that you were as enthusiastic as you were because you were, you were already enthusiastic about our work. Absolutely. The fact that you in in such a prestigious position and such an important company felt that this could in fact um, give corporations the opportunity for culture transformation at scale was very right. you know very heartening to us i mean it really meant a lot to us i just wanted you to know that no thank you and i think the other thing that you've just said that i i was remiss in not mentioning the important word was scale mm -hmm. and i would say scale and penetration and what you often find in companies the size of ours where you know if you scale united technologies we've got over 200,000 employees is you'll do traditional training and you'll try and raise awareness but the reality is you're not going to touch the mass and the, the the concentration of the population that you need to in order for that to truly be sustainable and yes of course there's still value in doing it but i think the adoption of technology that allows you to you know to amplify that through your workforce easily and quickly is very, very impactful. I'm so glad you feel that way. 
Um, so I so so switching gears just a little bit. One of one of my team members mentioned that you rec- recently went on a a trip to West Point, and I, yep. I I was wondering what your observations were there regarding anything related to inclusivity. Yeah, so it was interesting, um, and it was I would broaden this to be kind of a discussion more about culture, but um, and I think we'll come to it. But you know, Collins Aerospace is basically the um, is the culmination of an acquisition that uh, UTC completed of a company called Rockwell Collins a year or so back, um, and the integration of that business with the existing UTC. Uh, business which was called UTC Aerospace Systems and you know as you bring two big organizations together you get to the question about you know how intentional do we want to be about our culture and what should it look like and so myself and a number of my uh, my peers um, actually attended uh, some leadership training at West Point, West Point being the premier kind of um, academy for for the army in the U.S. Um, and I would say, you know, going into it, I was a little bit sort of dubious about it, to be frank. I was sat there thinking, okay, so I don't do well with authority and I'm going to go to like an army boot camp. This may not end well kind of thing. Um, but I was uh, incredibly surprised and I would say very pleasantly surprised by some of the things that I learned in West Point and it's very it's a very interesting kind of story so you know if you wind the clocks back up until the Berlin Wall came down I guess in the 80s or whenever it was the whole sort of philosophy about the culture in the army and how work gets done which is ultimately what culture is about Um, was very much kind of command and control. And part of the reason for that was it was predictable who the enemy was going to be. The environment that you would be deploying troops into was also somewhat predictable. Um, You knew what the threat was going to be. You knew the terrain you'd be fighting on. And so, you know, the idea of sort of instruction and execution uh, from a central command post was pretty logical. You wind forward and, of course, you know, uh, the Berlin Wall comes down, the world changes and all of a sudden um, nations, we, individuals, people, society experiences threat from a whole myriad of different places that you cannot predict and you do not know. So all of a sudden you're in a situation where that traditional view of we can centralize decision making and simply send signals into an organization to execute has to change and so what the army uh, very deliberately did over a period of years was go through a culture transformation that resulted in empowerment and decision making being pushed to the most logical point in their system Um, which you know moving from that kind of command and control environment into uh, you know a space that's deliberately focused on empowerment was a big fundamental shift for them Um, and they you know and they used certain tools to get there and to get comfortable with um, you know handing off that degree of authority and decision making to spots in their structure that had previously just been to do with execution so interesting very interesting experience but you know again not what what I was expecting going to West Point Right. So, so um, re- regarding the, um, the, the merger, what, what are some of the other challenges that you've experienced as a result of two 
two organizational cultures trying to come together into one, you know, meaningful sort of well-oiled machine where everybody's pushing in the in the same direction. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the first thing I would say is, as you're going through the process of um, bringing two companies together, there's, um, you know, one of the fundamental initial tasks is to understand how are you going to structure the company and who's going to do what job. Um, and of course, that creates a, you know, somewhat of a, um, a political environment to navigate through. Um, and I'll say that. Um, I think how you also structure a company can result in influencing culture. So how centralized you want to be, how decentralized you want to be, where do you place, you know, somewhat analogic to what we were talking about with the army, where do decisions get made, etc. And so my experience was thinking very intentionally about that was important and understanding the ramifications of, um, you know, the decisions that you may that you may make. Um, we also decided to to kind of come together and go through one annual cycle before we wanted to define what our culture was going to be. Um, I think in previous integrations, we, you know, immediately defined that up front. And then the question was, are we actually living up to it? And so we wanted a full period of operating together before we actually started to describe to the organization what we wanted the culture to be. So I would say, um, just in summary, I mean, it's, I, I think culture, Culture happens whether you like it or you don't. And the important point, I think, is for leadership to be very intentional about defining what we want it to be. Um, and I think a peer, uh, you know, having a good period of due diligence, planning, and understanding what you have as you bring two organizations together before you understand what you want to be is important. Thank you all for listening today. That was Alex Plumley, and I'm Denise Hummel, and this is the Leading Inclusively podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, feel free to leave a rating and review of our work, and be sure to subscribe to ensure you are notified of future episodes we publish. Thanks again, and see you all next time. Music.